Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross, that managing editor, FightfulMMA.com. If you missed it, UFC 236 was this week, and we have Say to Wolf's What the Hell Happened at UFC 236 feature. David Tease did some great coverage of UFC uh, 236. We had just tons of comments over there. If you all are not a part of our live coverage and discussion, be a part of it. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot going on there. Uh, James Lynch, of course, interviewing a bunch of people over at FightfulMMA.com. He is here with us today. James, how are you? I'm awesome, guys. Uh, glad to talk some UFC 236. I missed the card live because I was doing commentary this weekend, and uh, it was uh, it was good uh, good card to catch up on. I avoided pretty much all the spoilers I could and then watched it on Sunday. It was great. So, And we have Showdown Joe Ferraro, who in a matter of hours, days, will be flying over to Japan, Joe. Yeah, leaving on Thursday, uh, 1.30 local time here in Toronto, a good 11, 12-hour Flight over to Japan, then deal with a 14-hour time difference with my home uh, my home time zone, the Eastern time zone. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a fantastic card. I can't wait for it to go down. But before I say anything, boys, just take a look at the jersey. Take a look at the jersey. <laughs> All right. Juventus is playing at 3 o'clock Eastern today from 3 to 4.30. Nobody bother me. I'll be extremely stressed. Well, we're going to talk about Rise, and we're going to talk about UFC 236. We're going to talk about... The very little bit I know about UFC St. Petersburg, but um, as we go on the air, uh, Joseph Boza mentioned, uh, Invicta FC Phoenix rising uh, on May 3rd will now crown a new Invicta FC strawweight champion as Jandrioba has signed with the UFC. Invicta keeps on trucking, James. I mean, they're, they're, they're still out there. Not, not quite the high profile in which they used to be. They are essentially UFC fight pass content right now, but... Uh, what do you think of this? I think it's good. I like what they're doing because what they're doing essentially is they're promoting fighters that are doing well that are prospects and then they're bringing fighters down. Like we've seen Kylan Curran and Jamie Moyle and a bunch of Pearl Gonzalez, probably the best example of someone who's, you know, really taking advantage of her time in Invicta. And I think it's good. I think it, it makes sense. And I've always said this, like whenever you have fighters that are in the UFC, it's good to utilize their brand as best you can. And a lot of times what will happen is you'll see fighters go to other promotions or they'll fight locally and they'll carry that brand with them there. If you're the UFC, take advantage of that. You know, at least they're on Fight Pass. They're with Invicta. There is a good relationship there. Keep it going. I think I think it's good, and um, you know I, I like what they're doing. And, and you know, all things considered, with how much the UFC's gutted Invicta, they're still going along, and I think it's great. So it's become a running joke that news drops right after our podcast. Last week, <laughs> last week there was no better example of this as I hit stop broadcast, and James said, "Oh, hey guys, quick before we get off of here, TJ Dillashaw." Suspended two years after he had popped for EPO. Uh, Joe, uh, 
this is one of those I told you so situations for Cody Garbrandt, who uh, honestly made light of himself, who you know, he says, I've only been beaten by people who have tested positive, even though I fought like a dumbass. But he specifically named EPO a year and a, like a year ago. Did this news surprise you that this was the substance? Uh, this is a substance that benefits you regardless of weight division. It's not like a diuretic or anything. Uh, to be honest with you, no, I'm not surprised at all with the news because, uh, there was a lot of talk way back, uh, way back in the day, uh, with a lot of people saying that, you know, TJ was on something. I said, listen, everyone can say what they want until it's proven. You know, I'm, you know, you guys all know me benefit of the doubt, even with the John Jones and all that other stuff. It's always about benefit of the doubt. You need to prove, uh, you know, without a shadow of a doubt that someone is guilty uh, of taking performance enhancing drugs. I know that, um, you know. Sean, you and I know uh, Luke Berardi very well. Uh, he was on the podcast uh, way before we did this one, James, uh, before we transitioned uh, to the three-man team. And, you know, he was he's adamant that like 75 80%, if not more, of the fighters are on performance-enhancing drugs. He's got that that eye. I don't have that eye, guys. I've, I've been, you know, pretty blunt about it. I don't have that steroid eye where uh, I look at someone as guilty and I can see it in them. He, he's got that ability. He's been around the, the bodybuilding game for a long time. And he was, you know, he... He always said there were so many guys, uh, and he mentioned a bunch of names. I don't remember if he mentioned TJ Dillashaw specifically, but um, in talking to him afterwards, he's like, I'm not surprised at all. You can just tell. I'm like, well, no, I can't tell, but lo and behold, <laughs> there you go. James, your, your thoughts on this situation? Yeah, I was one of those people who was like, you know, let's wait and see what happens here. You know, Dillashaw hadn't done anything like this before, and even with the, you know, Cody Garbrandt trash talk when they fought, but – yeah, it's just really disappointing. I mean, could, is there anyone, I think across the board in sports, is there anyone who has a worse 2019 than TJ Dillashaw? I mean, you lose the way you did. Um, you know, you have you get busted here. I mean, and it's not like he just walked outside his door and stepped on something and he got EPO in his system. It's like he had <laughs> to actually inject it. Like, there's no way of getting around this. Like, he's a cheat that'll always stay with him for the rest of his career. He's not getting any younger. The two-year suspension is almost a career killer. I mean, even if he does come back, I think we're not going to see anything close to what we saw before. Clearly not what we saw uh you know in the Henry Zudo fight but um yeah just really not, not a big market for 35 year old bantamweights <laughs> exactly and and I think that um yeah I, th- I think the biggest thing here is that I, I really like TJ like I liked him I thought I, I thought he came across so well on, on the ultimate fighter taking the high road not falling into a lot of that trash talk I think he was a good ambassador and this all goes down the drain now like I think you know and then like as far as him being the best man to win and all that that all goes away now like this all puts everything into, into question and um yeah, it's just disappointing. It uh, just goes to show you how quickly someone can ruin their career. You know who uh, should be more upset about this than even Cody Garbrandt? John Lineker, whose only two losses since 2012 are to guys who have popped for EPO now. Wow. That's that's it. Sure. I mean, he's won like, what, 12, 13 fights in a row? He's lost to two guys via decision that pop for a substance that helps you go to the scorecard, that helps your your stamina, that helps your win. My God, man. If I'm him, I'm just livid. And if Luis Godino is out there popping for EPO anytime soon, I'm breaking everything in the room. Uh, <laughs> that guy, as I look at it, 12 wins against people who haven't popped for EPO in a row. Uh, If I'm him, I'm upset. Of course, if I'm a Sun Sal, I'm also upset. If I'm Garbrandt, I'm upset. Uh, Hidden Burrell, 
let that shit go. Just let that go. Well, hold on a second. What do you guys think of, uh, I, I got to mention this because Aaron uh, Bronsetter, our good friend from TSN, he spoke to um, Jeff Nowitzki and he said that he was tested for EPO in those fights and nothing came up. Do you guys buy that? I don't. I don't. I, I, I believe that if he had to cheat at this stage of his career, he probably was earlier, especially uh, at the point to where he got elite. It's hard to believe that somebody got elite and then cheated to stay elite. Although, Extremely I mean, valid point yeah. right there. That's yeah. a very valid point. Now, I mean, there there are some situations where I think uh, maybe, maybe that's the case. Who knows? But, oh, it's hard for me to buy that. Like, Okay, Barry Bonds, for instance. He was an elite baseball player, and I believe that he started taking stuff to become more elite. So is that possible? Sure, but man. Whew. Conor McGregor can read him, can he? Snake in the grass. Yeah, well, the irony is even some of the even Joseph Bozo in the live chat, he made a, makes a good point how some of the stuff all came out as soon as he left Team Alpha Male. That's the one thing that uh, a lot of fans don't understand is sometimes, you know, within a camp, everyone keeps their mouth shut. And then when somebody leaves, they technically still keep their mouth shut but stuff begins to leak, if you know what I'm saying. So I think uh, Connor got smart with that. And Connor isn't one to, to mince his words nor hold back. Look at all the uh, Ali stuff that he was saying on stage and, uh, you know, about the passports on, on 7-Eleven and stuff like that. Or not 7-Eleven. <laughs> uh, September 11, yeah. uh, 2011. So, yeah, 9-11, excuse me. So, uh, yeah, it's – it's you start cheating, you're eventually going to get caught. That's the way I look at it, man. In this bantamweight division, uh, let's talk about the the future of it because it looks like it's going to be Cejudo taking on uh, Marlon Marias. You have a couple of interesting names that are in that division as well, Sterling and Munoz. If you're the UFC, if you're you and I and other I, but do we discount the losses to TJ Dillashaw? Do we look at uh, Rafael Asuncao and and his his losses to T.J. Dillashaw and say, no big deal. I mean, we could for Cody Garbrandt, but he lost to somebody else recently. I guess the only benefit of this situation is that the only person that T.J. Dillashaw has beaten since 2017 is Cody Garbrandt, and he's already lost to somebody else. Granted, that person popped at one point too. Uh, but James, how do you look at this? How do you, how do you factor in people who have lost to T.J. Dillashaw, like a John Lineker, like it, like in a Sun Sal, and that, that's really it. Remember with Barry Bonds with the whole steroids thing with him in baseball, it's like put the asterisks there. I think it's the same thing here. Like they're not going to go back and overturn the losses, but yeah, you have to can that, that that is something we have to talk about now when we talk about the fighters that TJ Dillashaw has beat. You know, do we know if for sure if you know he was clean for those fights? We don't know, but it certainly puts it into question with this test. Again, it's not something that he just ingested. It's not like Chad Mendez where he's like, Oh, I put cream on me and somehow it helped me out. It's like this is like a legitimate, like he actually like took the time to do this. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, that, that all comes into question here. One thing I did want to mention quickly, uh, cause you talked about it there. I kind of like what they're doing here with the Chicago card where they have Cejudo and Marias fighting for the title. And then you've got this fight between Munoz and Sterling where it's kind of like a tournament. So I would imagine whoever wins that fight, the winner of that will fight, you know, the, the title holder. So I think that was good on the UFC to kind of rectify the situation. And more importantly, get this division moving along. I mean, it's been in such a stalemate with Dillashaw going down and Dillashaw rematching Garbrandt. It's nice to see some new blood in there, especially when you've got guys in the wings, like, you know, Peter Yan and, and you know, other standouts, Nathaniel Wood, uh, that they're just waiting to get their opportunity as well, too. This kind of screwed them, but kind of didn't screw them because this moves the division forward even more 
because you have, and, and we've been on a carousel the last few years, Joe. I mean, literally, we've talked about three, maybe three or four Bantamweights near the top in the three years that we've existed a, as a website. And now we're finally getting some movement. Is there anybody else that, that you're kind of looking forward to there? I mean, if, if, well, I'm, the, if I'm the UFC, I'm dialing up Kyoji Horiguchi in a, in a year or two, whenever that Horizon contract's up. Yeah, they'd love to have him back. I know that for sure, but I don't think he's going to be leaving uh, at all. I know he's still, um, you know, living in Florida, training at ATT. Uh, does you know he's he's one of, of Mike Brown's favorites. Uh, but I mean, did did any of us mention Dominic Cruz at all? Like, he, I mean, he does no. he fight? Does he fight? I, I understand I that. I understand. He that, said fourth now, quarter yesterday, but I, I'll believe that when a Diaz brother comes back too. <laughs> but hold on a second, guys. If I if I could may continue with uh, with the Dominic Cruz analogy. Um, when we t- start talking about the greatest bantamweight of all time, does he now escalate his name back up there again? Because if you look at his run at the time, uh, he was considered the best of all time until those crazy injuries. Uh, and then TJ came in there, did what he had to do. He defeated him uh, back and forth with Cordy Garbrandt. You know, is Dominic Cruz now still going to be considered, for now, the greatest bantamweight of all time? And yeah, I'd love to see him compete. And there's guys that are calling him out. But, you know, like James said, Dude doesn't fight, or sorry, Sean said, dude doesn't fight, and James would believe it when a Diaz brother fights. So, and yeah, there's some, he's the best, yeah. There are some good names emerging too. Ricky Simone, uh, is one of them. Nathaniel Wood is one that I know that UFC would love Peter Yan to, really, to really step out, yeah. Peter Yan and uh, Cody Garbrandt, I would probably throw him in there with a 10 to 15 ranked name and hopefully get him a win that way he can stay relevant in this division. Well. UFC 236 is very relevant. The main event and co-main event of this show just ruled. Let's go ahead and, and talk about it. We had uh, Max Holloway moving up to lightweight to take on Dustin Poirier for the interim lightweight title. Of course, there have been like a ton of people who have lost the lightweight title and interim lightweight title without actually losing it in the cage. Tony Ferguson doesn't look like he's ready anytime soon, despite what he says. He could have his legs sawed off the knee, and he's going to tell you that he's ready. Dustin Poirier poured on strong. that The fight literally took place the, the way that we unfolded it on the preview. Dustin Poirier starts really, really strong. Could have finished Max Holloway. Then Max Holloway pours it on. Then Max Holloway gets a little more aggressive. Then Max Holloway starts the comeback. But uh, Dustin Poirier ends up getting the win. Initially, I had it scored as a draw. I think it was Poirier's fight. Uh, now that now that I've rewatched it, but an amazing performance for Poirier, and one that does not hurt Max Holloway in the eyes of the fans, James. Uh, yes and no. I've, it's it's funny you say that because I agree with you 100%. I think you know Holloway can still go back down and, and reign supreme in the featherweight division. But I saw a, an entire thread on Sunday, someone calling Max Holloway, get this, overrated. <laughs> There's always someone out there, but. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, again, this is, this is just great for, I think this is great for everyone because, you know, Poirier finally gets his long awaited title. He's, he's a great ambassador for the sport. We're finally going to see him get hopefully a shot at Habib Nurmagomedov. I say, hopefully, because you know, the politics of the sport and with Holloway, he's in a great spot. I mean, if Aldo beats Volkanovsky, I don't think you'll see that trilogy. I think you see Frankie Edgar fight Holloway. And then if Volkanovsky does win, then you have Volkanovsky and Holloway. So I think Holloway's in a pretty good spot. And, you know, he can he can bounce back here. And again, like people make it out like, you know, this was like a dominant win. Like Holloway had his moments, but it just wasn't his night and he lost to the better fighter. Joe, your your thoughts on this fight uh in general. This was a blast. Well, last week you two guys said that Max Holloway, no ifs, ands, or buts was going to win. 
Uh, and I made it clear that Dustin Poirier was going to win. So a little, I told you so there. But in all seriousness, sarcasm aside, uh, what a great fight. Fantastic job by Dustin Poirier. Uh, maybe he just simply has Max Holloway's number. Maybe that's the situation right there. I think the detriment, at, if there's any detriment whatsoever to Max Holloway, and he's sure as hell is not overrated because he is freaking awesome, is that you know he didn't beat the top guy in the division, who is Habib Nurmagomedov, but he did beat a guy who's at the upper echelon, meaning he can compete with anybody at 155 pounds, in my opinion. Uh, he's going to be perfectly fine at 145 pounds. Let's not forget he's young. He, he has plenty of time to eventually move up, uh, but he's in his prime right now. Uh, I, I'm, I'm with James. I can't see that trilogy fight happening at all with Jose Aldo, no matter what happens at 145 pounds. Uh, and Dustin Poirier awaiting um, you know, Nurmagomedov. James, I think that fight will actually happen despite the different politics, I think, that are going to be made public nonstop leading up to that fight there. I just think Dustin uh, will get that chance because you know it's it's not a money fight for, for Nurmagomedov like a Conor McGregor rematch is, but it's a damn good fight. And you know if Nurmagomedov does what Nurmagomedov does, what does that say about him? He'd be an absolutely fantastic fighter if he takes out Dustin Poirier in dominant fashion like he's taking out everyone else. As for Max Holloway, does he go back to the featherweight division, Joe? He's had some trouble making the weight recently. Dana White wants him to go back. I think he does. He has not wavered from that that opinion. 100%. I have no ifs, ands, or buts. I think this was a bit of a wake-up call for him. Um, you know, Not that he said – I'm sure he believes he can beat Dustin Poirier. And I'm sure he believes that he could beat anybody at 155, but you're the champ uh, at 145. Go and defend that title. Uh, until something happens. If you continue to, to do it, just add to your legacy at 145 to be the best uh, featherweight of all time. And then when the time comes to, to move up because you've completely uh, cleaned out that division, go to 155 and then take it from there. Now, James, here's the issue. What if Aldo beats Volkanovski? Edgar. Edgar, Edgar. fights him. Edgar. Okay. Yeah, they I, do I it. Think- I know there's no steam there, but that is a chip they have. I think that's why you haven't seen Edgar booked against anyone. I think Ali, his manager, knows that, you know, there is that potential on the table, especially with, you know, and Ali will use this as leverage saying, look, Edgar bailed you out when Holloway was injured, uh, you know, that one fight and Ortega had to fight Edgar and Edgar got knocked out. I mean, that was a favor he did. So I think they're waiting for that. Um, and then that will happen. But yeah, I have zero interest. As good as Aldo's been, even if Aldo goes out there and knocks out Volkanovski, I have zero interest in a trilogy because it's not like Holloway beat him in a close decision. He finished him both times. I don't, we don't need to see the trilogy, in my opinion, as Correct. good as Aldo's been. Yeah, I wouldn't mind an Edgar fight. I would, man, I would love to see him fight because this weekend it'll mark a year since he's actually fought. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. And I did see Israel Adesanya defeat Kelvin Gastelum, really poured it on in the last round. And when I looked at this, I was like, man, Kelvin Gastelum and Robert Whitaker were each other's better matchup. I don't know if uh, Adesanya is a great matchup for a kind of small for the division, Robert Whitaker, uh, something that has benefited him in the past. You know what Adesanya is going to do. He's not going to wrestle. Robert Whitaker. Uh, he did not wrestle Kelvin Gastelum, but he did show off like at least a threatening submission game that got him out of a couple of, got him into a bad situation and got him out of the same bad situation. Joe, what surprised you the most about Adesanya's performance? Uh, he lived up to the hype. Uh, oh, living up to the hype. I mean, I, we've all said it from day one with this guy. Like he gets it. Just watch every single James Lynch interview with him. Listen to how he speaks. Listen to how he breaks things down. Listen to how he di- dissects fighting. 
he, he's a, an absolute treat to watch. I thought, if anything, um, he was a bit more lenient in terms of his attacks, not able to pull that trigger, but he was patient, and you got to be patient in five rounds. So he was very patient and really turned it on when the opportunity presented itself in the fifth round. The championship rounds, rounds four and five, that fifth round, as soon as he was able to hurt Gaslam, he then went in there for the finish and almost got that finish. So super impressed uh, with Israel's performance, and I think he's going to do absolutely fantastic. I, what's even more, well, I shouldn't say what's more impressive, but what really impressed me was Robert Whitaker's, uh, you know, tweet. Uh, eventually, a couple of a day or so later, when he basically said, "You've been exposed, son. Get ready." Those are fight I, words, boys. I personally think that Adesanya matches up pretty well with Whitaker, depending on how well Whitaker can Im- implement a a wrestling game. Although we have seen now, James. People can get inside on Adesanya despite that reach, despite that six foot four frame. Uh, what did this fight say to you? What did you think of it? And and how do things look in the future for Whitaker versus Adesanya? There's a lot of things to take away from this. First off, Calvin Gaslam had this fight in the bag in the fourth round. If he just would have kept it standing instead of going for that takedown, yeah. I believe. I mean, I know I'm a guy behind a computer yeah. here, but still, it's. I, I thought there was a missed opportunity there. So Calvin need, will probably Calvin need a term for that. Need a yeah. term for. Rocking somebody and then going up for the the, the cage grapple. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out at some point. But uh, but I think I think Israel's stock actually went up. I mean, people disagree with me again. I talked about people calling Holloway overrated. I saw the same thing with Israel. Oh, he never had to fight you all, Romero, or you know, I had these people saying that like, why, you know, if he fought Rockhold or Wyman, it would be different. It's like shut. Like, give this guy some credit for God's sakes. Like, it's a good thing that he's you know progressing well. He's entertaining. He's you know he he's he can sell himself very well. Like Joe mentioned in the interviews, like people should root for this guy. And for whatever reason, you have the people who think the opposite and they would rather see him lose. I don't get that. Um, but I, the reason I say his stock went up is because he took a lot of shots and was still able to persevere and, and get the win. Uh, to me, it shows he's battle-tested. That was the one thing. I mean, people look at his fights and they're like, yeah, but it's Derek Brunson. He's gotten finished before. It's like, yeah, well, he's still finishing these guys. Like, it's impressive. We got to look at things like that. So I thought it was good. Um, I love the trash talk with Whitaker after. Here's one thing we haven't talked about with Robert Whitaker. He's barely fought. He's taken a lot of damage in those fights with Yuel Romero. I mean, if you look at the two, I'd have to go back and look at Israel's um, you know, kickboxing career. I know he's been knocked out in kickboxing, but I would wager that Robert Whitaker's had a lot more wear and tear than Israel has, and that could play to his disadvantage in this fight. And, you know, Israel, um, you know, again, styles make fights. I think that uh, this is one of those fights where I think, you know, Izzy's style could be a little bit different. Has Whitaker faced, the, you know, the uh, it's type of striker like Israel Adesanya before? It's tough to say. So um, I'm really excited for that fight. I, you know, hopefully it comes to fruition, uh, you know, this year. Uh, you know, you never know with, with Whitaker's injuries. I, I you know, we're hearing things, this and that. And for Calvin Gaslam, I mean, you were an inch away from winning that title. He's still in the mix. I think he should fight you all Romero next. And then that way you have this sort of, you know, again, tournament, so to speak, where if either one of those guys wins, you put them in the driver's seat. Now, hopefully, you know, it wouldn't be Whitaker and Romero. And then you have, you're not going to get that trilogy fight, but still you, you, you could have a possibility of a fresh matchup, um, you know, by doing that, in my opinion. Speaking of uh, Adesanya and, and his marketability, five, performance bonuses in 14 months the only person that he didn't get one against is against marvin vittori speaking of where's he because if he's not saying get me back in the cage right now after going to a split with israel adesanya i don't know what he's doing it's been a year since he's fought i don't think he's even had anything scheduled since the adesanya uh split. sean you're you're, you're you're you got a short memory man we fightful go go check on our site we interviewed vittori's under suspension by usada oh you're right 
I come do. on, man. Right, Sean. I thought you watched uh, all my interviews. What's going on? Here? I do. <laughs> I do. I know there's so many. I know they get lost in the shuffle, but he, it, was, it was a USADA thing here. So oh, that's, that's why God. he's waiting for that. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's he's not fought since then. I Hey, it makes him look a little bit better because everybody else has had like uh, – Adesanya has had these highlight real performances against them. Not him, but I'm, I'm ready for Adesanya Whitaker in, in the, the summer. And hopefully, hopefully in the summer. We'll see What's how that ends. with Whitaker's injuries or the, since the surgery? Is he healed up? I think he said like August, didn't he? Man. Roughly. We're in April. Damn it. All right. Me- meanwhile, Habib is saying September for oh, yeah. uh, Dustin Poirier, which means at least December. At <laughs> least December. No. I think September's fine. I mean, Ramadan ends in- actually. Yeah, it, it doesn't Ramadan end beginning of September. I mean, I could be completely wrong. No, no, no. Ramadan starts uh, beginning of May this year and runs through the beginning of June. Oh, plenty of time for a training camp then after that. Yeah, so probably December. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, another fight worth mentioning Khalil Roundtree Woo! put the pain on Eric Anders. Now, I am a, a Khalil Roundtree believer now. This is the prospect everybody was talking about a few years ago, before the inconsistency. And he's looked good. He ran into Johnny Walker once, but that's okay. Sometimes Johnny Walker will put you down. (laughs) Joe, what did uh, this performance, this absolute drubbing of Anders say to you, and should the corner have stopped it in between the second and third round? I flat out was watching this fight thinking to myself, I cannot wait to my basement to be completed here so I get my gym back because <laughs> I have a banana bag uh, in my home gym downstairs that I haven't been able to use in about a year, year and a half, uh, courtesy of some of the stuff that I get from Joseph Baltolini, if you guys know who Bazooka Joe is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he he gave me a smashing awesome uh, training regimen that ends every single – it's a 10-round uh, cardio uh, training, and it all ends – with low leg kicks and what Khalil Roundtree was doing with those low leg kicks were just absolutely magical. I actually, for once in a while, I agreed with the the commentators on the show, just showing you the difference uh, of when you go potentially to Thailand to learn the training and learn the understanding. And, and what Khalil did to Eric Honors was something else, but we have to give credit to Eric Anders. Come on, man. That guy there took an absolute beating for 15 minutes and would not go away. That's the true heart of a warrior, and calling him a savage on the broadcast was absolutely correct. He is a savage for not going away because in MMA, anything can happen, and Eric Anders could have landed a perfect shot. You never know, but Khalil was very cerebral in that performance, stuck to his game plan, did a fantastic job. James, your your thoughts? Best performance of his career. Um, we hope this is a sign of things to come because he's been Mr. Inconsistency, you know, win-loss, win-loss. He'll have like a really good win, really bad loss. I think part of that is due to his camp. If you remember, he was at Syndicate. Uh, things didn't really work out from there. Then his last fight uh, against Johnny Walker, I believe he was back home in California. Now he's training in Thailand, and I don't know if you saw any of the pre-fight stuff. Um, I actually tried to get an interview with him, no dice, because of the time change and everything. But uh, he loves Thailand. He like wants to live there now, and I think that is like unleashed his like best qualities, which is his striking, and he's really sort of honed in on that. And I don't think Eric Anders expected that version of Khalil by any means, because uh, that was a complete beatdown. Um, you could have, if you were Anders' corner, you could have thrown in that fight. I thought at a certain point because it was just getting pretty brutal. And uh, yeah, certainly back on back on the horse. And I think this was the guy we all thought we were going to see at some point from the Ultimate Fighter. 
better now. We, we got to see it on Saturday. So I hope it continues. I hope this is just isn't like one good performance. I hope he continues this uh, run in the 205-pound division. Nikita yeah. Krylov won a fight, guys. <laughs> oh, man. Was I ever wrong on that one? Jeez. That fight uh, we all sucked. Were. I mean, I'm not talking from an excitement standpoint. That was fine. I can't believe these are two allegedly top 15 light heavyweights. Uh, Nikita Krylov fan was in attendance at this fight and got a fist bump, an honest-to-God fist bump from Nikita Krylov. And he goes, that's why he won. And I said, you know what? I can't discount that. (laughs) I can't discount that. You see, when you you sent me that tweet, Sean, I didn't know he was there live. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two days before it was decided. Atta boy. Good for him. I predicted no SP Von flu choke. It almost happened, Joe. Yeah, I know, I know. But listen, Krylov I mean, was begging to be Von Flued. Yeah, well, listen, it could have been all part of his game plan because, come on, you can't tell me that his striking didn't look good in this fight. Uh, okay, his his um, body kicks looked good. I thought yes. some of his punches at range looked good, but then there were some where he would throw his back foot up off the ground, and I thought those were bad. Uh, I think the most comical thing you have ever said on this podcast is implying that Nikita Krylov had anything resembling a game plan. <laughs> that is um, hilarious. I, I, I see your point there. I just, I mean, in, in looking at the fight, watching the fight, and he gets, he got mount, right? He got mount and eventually gets the rear naked choke. And I, was, I was like, what am I watching here? Like, who is this OSP? Like what? What happened? What's going on here? I just I think York FC is going to have you do some stand up comedy over the PA after after their games. Uh, James, <laughs> any any thoughts on this one? Uh, when I look at this, I'm thinking Khalil Roundtree, Nikita Krylov. Give me that. Yeah, I'll that be. makes sense. Um, and and I think it it also speaks to OSP and just his the fact that he just hasn't evolved really. I mean, this is a bad loss for him. Um, I think you should do that original fight they were talking about between him and Misha. Circa a loser least town match type thing because it's just uh, it, both of those guys really have to get it together here. I think we're uh, really seeing the, the the downfall. But for yeah, for Krylov, uh, we'll see. I, I'm still not sold on this guy. I know he's 26, and I know this is a good win for him, but I need to see more. And I think if you can get past the Cleo Roundtree, then you certainly proved your worth. But I, I still think the verdict's out on him a little bit. I, I always go back to the John Jones interview with Joe Rogan, and he is he's very good at analyzing and breaking down fights. And they Joe Rogan was like, you seem to have trouble with. OSP and he was like well the thing is he's had like 40 fights but he's so raw that he doesn't have tendencies like even though he's 35 40 fights into the game great fighters have a lot of tendencies for better or for worse and I don't think that he knows what he's going to do next so sometimes that that bites him I I, guys I'd rather see Khalil Roundtree I know I'm jumping rankings here but first of all he's not even the top 15 according to the rankings on the site uh, Krylov's at 15, but I would rather see um, Khalil Roundtree eventually fight Jimmy Manoa. That's the fight I want to see, or Ilya Latifi. That's what I want I like to see. I like, I like that uh, Jimmy Manoa fight as well. I would like that. Um, speaking of loser leave town matches, it looks like Wilson Hayes is probably Asia bound after he got starched by Pantoja. Uh, also, this is them pairing away the flyweight division. Any thoughts on this, James? Yeah, I was completely wrong on this one too. Uh, Panjota definitely took care of business. Hayes, uh, you know, when you start getting knocked out like this, it's concerning. Could be the beginning of the end for him. He's got a lot of fights, a lot of wear and tear. It's unfortunate. Super nice guy. But uh, yeah, this is a sign of things I think to come uh, that it might be time for him to uh, hang him up. Joe, any thoughts on this one? 
Yeah, I didn't think uh, Pantoja was going to be able to do it. I agreed with James there. I thought Wilson was going to be able to pull this off. But, man, am I impressed with Alexandre. That guy there has got some power, some speed. And it's not just the speed and the accuracy. It's the ability to explode upon reaction. Lands the punches and switches gears and goes in for the finish. I mean, very, very impressive. And people need to start talking about him now because uh, I know what James is saying, that when you get to a certain age in MMA, you got MMA mileage, and you start getting dropped by punches you used to basically walk through. That is very concerning for Hayes. But at the same time, uh, Pantoja doing that, we should be paying more attention to this kid uh, in terms of what he could be doing, even though I, I know it's at 125 and you know he's, he's making a case to keep the division around. But, man, kid's got talent. Speaking of uh, the, the prelims, Matt Favola beat Jalen Turner, Max Griffin over Amadayev, Khalid Taha smoked Boston Salmon. You're welcome. Montel Jackson, who James just interviewed, <laughs> defeated Andre Stukumtoth. Pollyanna Botelio defeated Lauren Mueller. That was a miserable fight. Uh, Brandon Davis submitted Randy Costa. And Bilal Muhammad defeated Curtis Melender. Uh, besides my little salmon joke, I don't think Bilal Muhammad did himself any favors getting off a fight pass. But hey, he's making that cool 70K. I posted on Twitter that I thought Bilal Muhammad is exactly the kind of fighter that UFC would lowball in negotiations and be like, ah, try it out in Bellator. Then he personally reminded me that Ali Abdelaziz is his manager, as James often does in those situations. Uh, James, any thoughts on these remaining prelim fights? Well, it's funny you mentioned that. Did you see the payout for Israel and Kelvin? Kelvin got really underpaid. Yeah, well, everybody yeah, got I really think, underpaid. Well, no, no, but, but Kelvin, but think about it, though. Think of who's been in the UFC longer. Israel's been in the UFC for about a, over a year now. He got yeah. 350K flat, win or loss, wouldn't have mattered. Kelvin only got 150. There's something wrong with that. Think about that. Yeah, yeah. I, or, I would agree. And, 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 and Ali is his manager, so I, I don't know if that's him trying to do a favor for them or what. I don't know what it is, but it, that's, that's not good. That's something we've heard that sometimes Ali will get them the big fights and maybe not as much money. Cejudo when he fought Demetrius, same thing. It was yeah. it was a low. So that's something to keep an eye on as well because that I, that really jumped up to me because that, that's a huge discrepancy. If anything, it should be the other way around. I would think just because of the, how long uh, Kelvin's been in the UFC. Joe, you were saying. Yeah, I, sometimes I, when I look at these numbers and I think to myself, man, that's low, that's bad, that's this, it's that. Bottom line is, fighter signs a contract, right? So you know what you're going to be getting paid heading into that fight. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have to, we don't have to discuss it. Uh, it is low, in my opinion, for Kelvin to be competing for a title and for as long as, as he's been in the UFC. Uh, I do agree, but uh, you know, whoever's scoring those deals for Israel doing a pretty damn good job because if I'm Israel, I'm signing on that dotted line as well because think of the extra 200K that he made in that win. Even though there's no win bonus, uh, he may have his, his manager may have structured it in a way where it's like, we don't want a win bonus anymore. Give us a flat. And say to yourself, okay, is this worth it? And part of it is, you know, he, he, look at what Conor McGregor had stated to Eddie Alvarez and his management when they fought. He started mocking him at the press conference, saying this idiot is still competing at what his contract says and didn't renegotiate more money to be fighting against me. Think about that. Well, this weekend it's UFC St. Petersburg. It starts early. Uh, I'm going to isolate this as I do all other previews and post it, which will probably then be retitled Sean Ross Sapp struggles to name any of these people. Uh, this is going to be real sad. My attempts. Um, also 
an attempt of me knowing virtually anything about two people in a single fight on this show, uh, that'll be a struggle outside of a couple fights. When you look at this show, James, and you look at some of the names on here, it's very clear they're catering this towards the market that they're going to be in. Um, There are some names, the Roxanne Modafferi's, the uh, Antonina Shevchenko. I mean, she's got some name value because of who she's related, because of who she's related to. Overeem. Some people know Alexia Linick. Tybura might jump off the page a little. Well, what what do you see in this card? It's just a showcase of the up and coming Euro- European talent. I think, um, especially the Russians as well. It's it's not it's not a solid card. I think, um, and, and this is just coming from someone who doesn't know that scene very well. I've I've heard from other people that it is a strong card from that perspective. But um, as far as name value goes, yeah, it's it's pretty one of the weaker cards for the UFC. But that that's okay. I mean, again, when you do uh, as many events as the UFC does, we've talked about this. I don't know how many times you're going to get cards like this where they're going to focus more on the the prospects and up and comers, and there'll be people who are dedicated and can't wait to see this card. I'm not one of them. Um, you know, this is not. I, I know you always joke about you know is this a is this a Saturday uh, Sunday afternoon uh, you know post fight show. Or or what like this definitely is uh, maybe even a Tuesday night a Tuesday uh, post fight show as well um, but yeah it, it's not a strong card but I think that's the point they want I mean Islam Makashev's in the in the co-main event which I find interesting because uh, he's a guy that I've heard from everyone at American Kickboxing Academy is like the future um, so you know he, he has a chance to put it together this is just more a showcase for the up-and-coming talent it's not a strong card yeah if this were not a show that ended at like 4 p.m in the afternoon, this would be a Saturday or Sunday or Tuesday <laughs> post show. Let's let's go ahead and get into it. Alex De Silva. I'm just going to run through some of these lines. We'll talk about the fights that stand out because there aren't a lot. Alex De Silva plus 135, Yakov minus 155. You have Anti Gulov at plus 175 taking on Alexa Check a minus 210, uh, Mustafaev a minus 175 against uh, Fiziev a plus 155. Keita Nakamura and Sultan Aliyev are a pick'em at minus one ten each. You have Sing Wu Choi a plus two thirty five against Evlaev a minus two seventy five, and then you have um, Marcin Tybura a minus one fifty five and Abdurakimov a <coughs> plus one thirty five. Devin Clark a plus one sixty five. Shit, Kryov, what? A minus one ninety. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> Sergey Pavlovich, a minus 270. Marcelo Galm, a plus 230. You have Tesserkayan, a plus 320 against Makachev, a minus 390. There are a lot of uh there are a lot of pretty sizable lines on this show, Joe, but are there any of these fighters that you're looking at and saying, can't wait to see them in there? Because I I'm sure. That despite my complete uneducation about this M1 global card with a UFC sticker slapped on it, that there are some good fighters on this show. There are some good fights on this card, actually. I mean, if you take a look at some of the people that are competing, I mean, Fiziev uh, at, at plus 155, that's value right there, even though it's Mustafaev that he's competing against. I think that's a good fight. Uh, Islam Makachev uh, at minus 390. Whoo, that's pretty big if you guys ask me. But some of these fights, I mean, y- you take a look at Matafari versus Shevchenko. Uh, I believe that line is perfectly fine, James. I'm not sure if you agree. And, and, and Sean, oh, part yeah. of my sh- part of my analogy here, because uh, James will definitely understand this. Sean, maybe you will as well. But James, this reminds me of taking um, a few NHL players, bringing them to the K- KHL, and just showcasing some NHL talent versus all the KHL talent. Yeah, 
Great right? analogy. That that's pretty much how I look at this card too. Yeah. That's, so that's how many yeah. people are going to want to watch this? Really, right? So I get it, and we'll see what happens. But the whole point is eventually to build some names off of this. But people need to view these fights to get those names to begin building. So you know, I it, hope somebody goes viral on this show. Basically, exactly. Somebody you can goal. throw up in a tweet, and ESP. Well, ESPN is going to pick up whatever the hell they want, but they hope that it. It is a Mikel Pereira situation where he's doing lion salts off the cage and such. That way you can build it for the next go around, I guess. I see this almost as a loss leader type of card, James. There there aren't a lot of people on this show I'm particularly looking forward to. Even Marcin Tibera, he beat Stefan Struve, but I can't remember the last time I watched Marcin Tibera and thought, damn, that was good. Like maybe 2017. It's It's been a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say quickly. Yeah, I, I just wanted to add that I like I agree with Joe here. I think the the goal here is to find like a highlight reel clip and then they can use it later on. But a lot of these matchups, like if you look at you know if you look at this a little bit closer, like the Antonina uh, and Roxanne fight's a prime example. Like, um, you know, I would pick Antonina in that fight. I think she clearly has an edge in, in the stand up. And Roxanne, I think there's a ceiling with her. As great as her story's been with this comeback and her being on the Ultimate Fighter and making it to the finals and everything, um, I, I think there is a ceiling, and I think Antonina is going to exploit that. And I think they want to build her up a little bit more. Um, and, and I think, you know, with, with Devin Clark and, and Shrikov, Shrikov undefeated Clark, you know, been a little up and down in the UFC. Again, they want to build him up. Pavlovich is an Ali guy as well, who had that really disappointing debut against Overeem. Um, I think they want to get him a win here too. Marcelo Gomes has been disappointing. Like a lot of this is just designed to, again, prop these guys up. And then when they bring them over to North America, they got the highlight package. So I just wanted to mention that. Before, sorry, Sean, before you go, I want to ask you both the real question because it was James and we were talking about before with Modafari, uh, Modafari, excuse me, and Shevchenko. What is going to be both of your reactions if Modafari gets her down to the ground <laughs> and controls her early in a round? Think about that for a second. That could be a crazy yeah. fight right there. That, that could be. And uh, Shevchenko is a massive favorite at plus or minus 350. Modafari a plus 290. And I've always said this. Women's fights are sort of like heavyweight fights to me. There's an element of unpredictability in in that because the that aspect of the sport is so young. And it's like I've said before, Modafferi, although I don't know how valuable some of that massive experience advantage that she has is, uh, she does have a massive MMA experience advantage. That could play a role. I think it's maybe worth putting five on. I don't know, but I think mm-hmm. Shevchenko is probably going to smoke her in this one. Uh, we also have Christoph Jocko in action. That's a name that, that we know to be uh, at least a quality name to some degree. He's a minus 190 favorite over uh, Edmondovsky at a plus 165. Uh, we mentioned Makachev earlier. He's a good fighter, minus 390. So there are a few fighters on this show that I'm like, okay, interesting. But I- I'm-, I'm with you guys. This is... um. A strike force challengers card, so to speak. Yeah. That, that's how I view that. And there's nothing wrong with a strike force challengers card, especially when it starts at 10 a.m. Eastern. I'm stoked for that. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the main event. Alexi Olenek, a plus 205. Alistair Overeem, a minus 245. This is a good fight. This is just a good fight, man. Uh, Alistair Overeem. Can't put together three wins in a row uh, over the past couple of years. He did beat Pavlovich. Uh, he's fighting all over the place these days. He went to China. He fought. He's fighting in Russia now. I don't see him falling victim to some of Olenek's tricks, so to speak. It is not easy. Like a lot of people look at Alistair Overeem 
and they think of the uh, complete monster trucks he has on the end of his gloves. But the guy just, quite frankly, does not get submitted these days. He doesn't, much less by uh, some of the stuff that Elenic pulls out, the Ezekiel choke that he specializes in. That being said, the people that he submits with Ezekiel chokes don't typically tap out to Ezekiel chokes. It's like not not something that happens. He's able to pull off like scarf holds and stuff that are traditionally positional in MMA. And you're not supposed to do. That you're not supposed to do. That are stuff that you get people with like the first or second time they come to a jiu-jitsu class. (laughs) That's so true. And he's getting high-level professional fighters with this stuff, Joe. So it's Alistair Overeem, guy who just does not get tapped out against Alexi Olenek, guy who taps people out with stuff that shouldn't tap people out. And that's why it's a beautiful matchup. It's a great matchup. But I will say four words and four words only uh, considering who I think is going to win this fight. I'll let you guys figure out who that's going to be. Four words. There will be knees. (laughs) Knees to the body. Uh, Overeem is just going to crush that body if Olenek dares to clinch with him. And I think Overeem's knees are going to shock and awe Olenek, and I think he's able to pull off this victory. James, uh, how do you feel about this one? This is how I feel. I think Overeem wins. Um, I like the fact that he's been at elevation training with Curtis Blades and kind of been off the radar a little bit. You know, you haven't heard much from him. He's not really active on social media as much as he used to be. Uh, he's kind of literally doing like a rocky camp these days, uh, just kind of minding his own business and doing that. I think that's a very dangerous thing, even at 38 years of age. But, and I don't mean any disrespect to the person I'm about to speak about right now, but basically Olenek went from the basement to the penthouse, uh, going from Walt Harris to Overeem. I mean, let's be honest, that was a fight that shouldn't have happened at UFC Ottawa uh, with Olenek fighting Walt Harris. I think he has you know, got some quality wins that are clearly higher than that. Now he's got this big opportunity against Overeem. I know he's 41. I know he shouldn't you know, submit the guys that he's submitting, but he does. That's a very dangerous thing here. Like I've said before on the show, I think this is one of those classic situations where I think Overeem wins, but I do think the value here is on Olenek because there is that what-if factor. This is a guy who, you know, realistically should not be on the winning streak he's on, should not be beating the guys he's beating. Even the Curtis Blades fight, a lot of people forget that was a little bit controversial with what how that ended. So, um, and, and he trains at a great camp. And, and let's not forget either that Olenek has fought or trains, I should say, with a couple of the training partners um, uh, that have fought Overeem and Junior, uh, Junior Dos Santos and Andre Olofsky. Um, so that's that's an advantage as well. So we'll see. I think Olenek could potentially surprise here, but more likely than not, Overeem, like Joe said, with the knees and everything, gets it done. But don't underestimate Olenek, even at his age. I think he's a guy that could pull this off. Olenek first fought, like I got to say with these people, that we know of <laughs> in November two, 1996. By the end of that night, he was 3-0 and as a pro fighter. That is just unbelievable. Like that, I think that he fought a grand total of seven, eight nights throughout the first 10 years of his career. But across those seven or eight nights, he had 18 or 19 fights. That's unbelievable. That That's wild. He was a, a journeyman, a successful journeyman. And then when he tapped out Mirko Krokop to that scarf hold, UFC's like, all right, let's, let's bring this guy in. And he's just kept doing it. He's had performance of the nights along the way. It's very special. But, man, Overeem – and a few years ago, I would have thought that if Overeem saw some of the troubles that he's had, I thought that maybe he would just call it a day or do something else. He stuck with it. He's always going to be a name that if you if he wins two or three fights in a row and you need somebody for a UFC heavyweight title fight, he'll be there. 
I think he's going to end up picking up this win. But uh, this is a good main event fight. We also have Ryzen coming up this weekend. Showdown, Joe, you're going to be there. There are some uh, Tenshin Nasakawa in action, kickboxing action, just after he fought last month. And you got uh, Kyoji Horiguchi in action against Ben Wynn. King Mo is there. What are you looking forward to on this show, Joe? Uh, just to see Tension's reaction in front of the Ryzen crowd for sure, uh, considering what happened with the Mayweather fight, getting knocked out the way he did in the first round. Uh, anything Horiguchi is going to be fantastic, and Ben Wynn's going to bring him some problems, but Horiguchi's just on another level. Uh, I think and hope people will be talking about uh, the Prohaska and King Mo fight. It is the main event. Now remember, King Mo and Yuri Prohaska are the main event. Let me stress that again. They are the main event with Nasukawa and Horiguchi on a rising card. So think about what rising is trying to do with this main event here. That's really trying to build, uh, you know, the winner of this fight. Uh, I'm sure they're probably leaning towards Prohaska, even if it's King Mo, King Mo's got a good following in Japan. Uh, but Prohaska is a guy that they've been building for quite some time, uh, in hopes to get that Mirko Crow cup fight and lure Crow cup back. He's not going to have, it's not going to happen anymore, obviously, uh, with what happened with Mirko, but, uh, Prohaska is going to be giving people a lot of headaches. First, he's got to deal with, with King Mo. Uh, there's been some other fights here that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. The return of Reyna uh, to see how her mind is going with. She's taking on Samantha Jean-Francois, who shocked a lot of people uh, at the last card. So there's going to be some slick fights here. The worst news possible for this fight card uh, happened about a week or two ago. And they just released it, I believe, this morning, Sean, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was the fact that uh, there's been an injury. Asakura is no longer competing. Uh, his opponent got injured. Um, oh, I'm drawing a blank here as to who it was. Um, fought in the UFC. Uh, oh, uh, Sasaki, Skoggin, right? Skoggin, Skoggins. Oh, Skoggins. Uh, oh, yeah, you're right. Skoggins, Skoggins is me yeah. just completely blue. Uh, and that was going to be potentially for a title fight. So, uh, or listen, that's what Skoggins wanted. But the rest of this card is just ridiculously stupid. It's going to be fast. It's going to be explosive. Uh, and I literally can't wait to get there and start calling this fight. It's going to be a you know crappy long flight, James, as you kind of know sometimes. But yeah, it's going to be fun. I love how active Horiguchi has been since coming over to Ryzen. I think he's got like nine, this weekend will be like nine or 10 fights in two years. Uh, it's outstanding. Uh, James, anything you're particularly looking forward to on this show? Yeah, I, and, and Joe uh, knows this as well. I'm a big uh, Shinju O'Claire fan. She's going to come back, see how she responds after her first career loss. Um, in the last fight, she trains at uh, Gilbert Melendez's gym out there, so hopefully she can get back on the winning track. I think she's someone they can definitely market. Great personality, very young. Uh, I think there's a lot of talent there, and she's actually pretty big for the division too, so that's kind of interesting. And how about Damian Brown uh, coming off that big win over yeah. Aaron Cruikshank, looking to build off that. I think he's a guy, I know he had some losses in the UFC, but he's so entertaining. You never have a bad fight with this guy, so I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see if he can continue his winning ways as well um th- those are ones and manuel cape is always always a joy to watch too he's nuts he's an absolute mess that kid so yeah that's gonna be fun if you and if for everyone on the chat or everyone tuning in right now that you, if you like your kickboxing you like your striking taiga's the opening fight of the of the evening uh so i don't think that one's gonna go three rounds but uh yeah look for someone's jaw to fall on the mat so as we wrap up the show i want to ask you guys give me a percentage of probably uh, a percentage chance do we ever see John Jones versus Israel Adesanya? Showdown, Joe. Percentage chance that those two will... I'll go 55%. Yes, 55% yes? Yeah. How about you, James? 
I'll just like Joe did last week with me, Price is Right style, go 54%. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, I, here's the thing, because like it would, it would, like Israel's not like a big middleweight, and no, Jones is, is, yeah, and like if anything, he could almost make, well, I don't think he could make 170, but that's still like he's an undersized middleweight. And then you have, um, uh, you know, Jones, who's probably is like almost filling into like a heavyweight frame these days. So I don't know how much longer he even wants to stay at uh, 205. So we'll see. I mean, I, I don't really have a desire to see this fight right now just because I think Jones is, is a lot further ahead. And I think, uh, you know, there'd be a lot of disadvantages for Israel in that fight, especially on the ground. So, um, yeah, it, it was a nice sort of thing that they threw out there. But I, I, I don't really want to see that fight, to be honest. Yeah. Both guys six foot four, but considering their frames, Israel Adesanya is only two years younger. It's not like he's going to fill in to his frame the same way that John Jones has. Also, a big reason I don't want to see this anywhere near right now, Israel Adesanya is a blue belt. <laughs> and while mm-hmm. he did some impressive things against Kelvin Gastelum, I, I don't need to see that yet. And he's aware of that. He knows that. He said as much this week. Uh, guys, make sure you all leave a thumbs up on this video. It really helps people find us. We are on podcast platforms all over the place. So check us out. Let people know about us. Our MMA side still growing all the time. So uh, you all subscribing, leaving thumbs up on all that stuff, checking out interviews. It is of uh, a great service. Uh, James Lynch has a new one up there with Montel Jackson right now. James, what else you have you have going on this week? Uh, trying to get another couple interviews for Fightful this week. Um, yeah, just kind of decompressing. It was a really busy weekend uh, for myself because uh, I had a race, a uh, trail race uh, here in BC that I had to do. Nice. It was like 8.4K. Did that in the morning with my wife and then had to go call the, the fights that night. And then, uh, and then had to, uh, yeah, watch UFC 236 and everything else. So this week's kind of like it's like Easter and everything. So just going to kind of decompress a little bit. I'll check out this card and everything else. And uh, yeah, just get back, get back to action. How about yourself, Joe? You doing anything this weekend? <laughs> doing this today first there, boys. Three o'clock's coming up. Six minutes to go. Juventus, Ajax, or Ajax, Champions League this weekend, obviously uh, in Japan. Got my coaching, my soccer, but uh, we'll have some fun uh, in Japan. I'll try and send... Uh, some pics over to you guys and some videos, if possible, if they allow me to do it. Because sometimes it's very difficult uh, yeah. to get videos there because they've already done all the interviews with the fighters sometimes sure. by the time I get there. So uh, everyone follow my social media at Showdown Joe. I'll do my very best to post some stuff uh, specifically on Instagram and on my stories. But other than that, uh, I'm very excited for the next six minutes uh, to get in front of uh, my television, watch some soccer, coach some soccer tonight and tomorrow, and then head on out to Japan. Follow us on our social media. Joe is at Showdown Joe. James is at Lynch on Sports. I am at Sean Ross Sapp. We also have Fightful, Fightful MMA, Fightful Wrestle. Check them out. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Till next time.